it's very small, you know, oh, yeah. as you know. Yeah. So we decided to pay the 20 bucks extra to get the, the second one. So I'm very happy because now what was once our obscenely clogged one, now I've put all my summer stuff on one side and now we took all the holiday stuff out and we took that down. I finally went through and pulled out like two or three boxes of, okay, let's go through this crap and see what I haven't looked at in a while. So I've got like the stack of wrestling magazines that I'm keeping, which is some of this, which is about a 10-inch stack. But then I've got two stacks of stuff that I'm giving to the promoter of AAW because I like my job. Let's start the show. For those who do not know, the biggest wrestling spectacular, names from all over the country, former champions, I've never seen anything like it. Eddie Graham, Florida Promotion, Vern Gagne, superstar Billy Graham, Road Warriors, Mid-South Coliseum in Memphis, Tennessee. Bill Watts, Jerry Jarrett, Dory Funk, Harley Race, uh, Nick Bockwinkel. This is Cigars and Conversation with Derek St. Holmes, Esquire. Hello and welcome to Cigars and Conversation Season 3. Brought to you by our friends at All The Gimmicks and iTunes. I'm your co-host, Jay Gilkay, and I'm sitting here with a true raconteur in the world of professional wrestling. This man has shared the ring with a who's who of talent that ranges from Jason Cash to Cash Flow. A wrestler, manager, commentator, and a trainer who's contributed essays to wrestling publications and who recently took a light tube across his back. Ah, with 20 years of experience, he's a true renaissance man with unlimited knowledge and apparently a new hardcore wrestler in the scene. Ladies and gentlemen, I am speaking of the one, the only, the incomparable Derek St. Holmes Esquire. What's up, Derek? Light tubes are harder than you think. Was it really? Yes. Um, I had my elbow back too far and I screwed up my elbow for a few weeks. Like screwed it up as far as like almost like a dinger, not like a cut, but like oh uh, exactly yeah, like being hit with an object. Did it get? Did you hit the funny bone? No, no, it was just more um, like high on the tendon, I think. When you get hit with a light tube, yes, I just like to state I am no expert by this. Like, sure, I, I had people shaking my hand that day, going "Good job, man," and I was just like, "No, there's." There's going to be guys going through log cabins of light tubes, tubes today. Right. Like I feel stupid and foolish right now. I'm going home. But the, so and like, I did. Is there like little pieces of glass in your back? No, it wasn't too bad, really. No, it, they break out. So you mean so like it breaks? They break out, and then you go in back and you pour water over it, and that takes everything out. Really? Yeah. Did you? I imagine you took it. And then you like went to the back and were like, ha, 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 ooh, ha, ha, no, ha. <laughs> no, I, water, water. I felt like the, the old man wearing his hat sideways with the big baggy jeans hanging out with the kids. Yes. That's what I felt like. <laughs> I bet. Yes. That's what the pain felt like. That was the pain? There, there was no, not really any pain. Uh, the bad part was, um, not to get too inside, but I had to. The original plan was I was going to get color off my arm. Yeah. So I got hit with the light tube and then wildly gigged my arm and then realized that the light tube, my back was bleeding and I didn't need to fucking gig, gig my arm. arm. Yeah. So, 
I felt how, pretty again. Felt very stupid. How was the arm? Was it? Is it just like in the moment you just go for it? Or a like, gig in the arm? Yeah. It's yeah. I mean, it's. I know. I just it, that's you. Crazy. You're cutting yourself. What? No, you I under. Yeah, that's. It still is pretty shocking for the to business, me. baby. Yeah, that's you got to do it, I guess. Hey, um, but I did it right this time. The first time I did it, I left a scar. This time I didn't leave a scar. So did um? Did you go against the grain? There's not really a grain on <laughs> your know, shoulder. Just, I know. I'm just. Uh, in, but I do. Uh, I do go against the grain for mine because I think uh, up and down are more realistic than across yeah, the head. Then yeah, that makes sense. That's that's just my feeling do for you, the five times I've done it. Did you do it in your hairline? Like, or did you I, actually do I it? I tried to. One time, I thought I was really smart, but then I went and, like, cleaned up, and it went from my hairline to my eyebrow, and I felt Jesus, really? Yeah, just just a very thin zip. Yeah, that's pretty... And I just felt, again, felt stupid. Yes. Like, what if and I And become... you, you can still, like, I know where it is, so if I position myself in the light just right, it's like, boop, there's no, that wrinkle right there. Yeah. Um, I remember being in my young... 20s in the 90s and standing in my bathroom holding a razor blade and looking in the mirror and being like i should just try it i should but of course i never did good right that's what i'm i mean i came to my senses i was like 21 or whatever and i'm like wrestling ucw and then i was like they do it all the time i should just barely make a little and see how much and i'm thinking and then i was just like what am i doing uh did you see the picture of Bruiser Brody's forehead that I posted yes. recently? Like that looks like it would be rubbing your fingers across a tire. Absolutely. Just bizarre. I always think of it more as the pruned fingers of somebody in a swimming pool. Sure. Like that is kind of the, um, yeah. But I mean, we joke about it now and it's so open and everybody knows what it is and blah, 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 blah. But at one time that was something that was kept to purposely turn up the temperature Oh sure, you right. Know, on something that was going on, you saw blood. Holy crap! You know right. this. This was bizarre. And we may have touched on it in a previous episode, but I still think it's interesting. Sometimes when you come across people that still talk about like a blood packet in your mouth, like I saw people because that, the thought of cutting yourself with a blade is, so is barbaric. crazy, right? Yeah. No, absolutely. But I always just like, but that even sounds <laughs> more ridiculous that they're popping a blood capsule open in their mouth and then taking and like smearing it on their forehead. Yeah, and a lot of old timers. Um, would go into how ludicrous that was of, well, where did I keep it until I put it in my mouth? Look at how much blood that was. If I kept it in my trunks, it would break open. Right. You know? And that's why I always think, mouth, too. It would melt. So I'm always still surprised, too, about uh, guys that would keep the razor blade in their mouth. That's, it works. Yeah. Like, and that, I try to figure that, but even that sounds, I just. Uh, think, uh, uh, Professor Axel Future, yes. who I might add. We do have lined up to come on our show at some point. I love it. Yeah, yes. absolutely. We just have to. It's got to be a late night gig, though. Okay. He operates. You know, he's a vampire. <laughs> okay, so, sure. Anyway, um, he kept his gig in his mouth, and he said he was afraid about it. But if you try it, there's like a little hollow right here under your teeth, and it but it's just, still a goddamn razor blade. Well, it's yes. All you need is is like have a uh, nice. Juicy piece of hubba bubba, and next thing you know, you're swallowing a razor blade. What? Well, I mean, you know, if you're chewing gum, you get a lot of saliva. You're not going to chew gum while you've got a blade in your mouth. Well, see, and now he makes it sound like I'm stupid for chewing gum. You know what I mean? That's what I don't get. Yeah, you've got a blade in your mouth. See, do you hear this, Kyle? Like this weird thing? 
Like that's so. Like the weird thing is the gum. The weird thing is the razor blade. Do you see how he turned it there? That was a what is that a double double switch shiru or what do they call that in the business? Yeah, that was pretty good. The old one too. Hey, welcome back. By the way, yeah. Sorry about our break. Listen, I I don't think people really even understand how much stuff was going on, right? And it wasn't even necessarily us. Okay. Because we'll throw Kyle under the bus on this one. Hey, no, Kyle's had some adventures. Kyle, ladies, lady, and gentlemen, um, Kyle, this guy has been everywhere. Um, Man. Yeah, then he's been to Chippewa, Santa Fe. Yes, exactly. Kalamazoo. Angela was just in Kalamazoo for a skating event. Well... That doesn't compare to the great places that Kyle's been. Kyle, uh, we'll save the big one for the end, okay? Which we just were both. Tell us some of the cities you've been in the last month or so. I feel like it's only been three. Make it sound better. Wow. Wait, wait, no, actually, wait. Batting it out of the park No, it's been L.A., Detroit. Rock City. uh, Detroit, Rock City, yes. Uh, Savannah, Georgia, and then finally in Park City. Park City. What's in Park City? Tell these people. The Sundance Film Festival. Ooh. Kyle was at Sundance hobnobbing with uh, one Mr. Robert Redford. Oh, really? Yeah. He's going to do Cigars and Conversations, the movie? Kyle was just jerking him off to get into some movies. Okay. That's what you got to do, right? No, but so Kyle... uh, You mentioned how much I like working on your shows. Yeah. Kyle went, was in... Sundance, what, uh, what was the movie that you were there with? Uh, so my fiancé was working on this film called Give Me Liberty. Um, so that was based in Milwaukee, and that was the main film that I was there to support. And then the second film was... Based in Milwaukee, shot in where, though? Shot in Milwaukee. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. I was and going with storyline. The second one was uh, this documentary called Marky in Milwaukee. That was at Slamdance. So I was there for those two films. So he was at the Slamdance Film Festival and Sundance. Uh he uh, he didn't meet. He saw Jim Gaffigan. Okay. Do you know who Jim Gaffigan is? Yes. Oh, I don't know. I didn't know if you knew. I, I didn't know you liked funny things. <laughs> so I mentioned how much I like working for you. Yeah, there <laughs> it is. So, uh, yeah. So I, I I'm sorry I didn't pop for Gaffigan. No, I I didn't pop for Gaffigan either. To be honest with you, I'm just saying. Okay. I just it was the only celebrity he ran into. Now our other friend Eric, who is also in. Uh, Sundance uh, with Kyle, he ran into Zac Efron and Ooh. saw the the Ted Bundy movie. Nice. Well, the premiere of the Ted Bundy movie nice. while he was there. So that was I look pretty cool. To seeing that. I do too, actually. Um, but uh, so Kyle's been doing a lot. His Dino Doc's been doing well. Tell us about what the grant that you got for your Dino Doc. Uh, yeah, I got a ten thousand dollar grant from the Milwaukee Film Festival for the Dino Doc, which is awesome. Nice. That is very awesome. And so, how, it, how much of it did you blow on coke and booze? Ninety percent of it. Good job. There Kim. it is. Good job. Um, and then he was hobnobbing with people out at in um, that Sundance about the documentary. So nice. we're hoping for big things for Kyle uh, to come down the pike. Yes. Is it pike or pipe? Pipe. Pipe. P i p e. Yeah, I guess down the pipeline. Yeah. What about the pike? That would be a mountain, wouldn't it? Yeah, because you could come down a pike, right? Right. All right. But that Either wouldn't way. be, I mean, I assume it would be a manufacturing expression. That's where I'd get pipeline, but could be a ski But it could expression? be a skier coming down. 
any of you skiers out there, let us know if it's pike or pipe. Kind of like that'll be. Yeah, I want to. I want to hear the results. I of do that. too. <laughs> we'll yeah. do an, an unofficial. Please, just no, nothing else. Just say pike or pipe. Oh, I wanted to know how many skiers listen to this oh. show. <laughs> say you tell us you, whether you ski. Say yes or no for skiing, and then say pipe or pike. Okay, so it's going to be either yes pike or yes pipe, or it's going to be no pike or no pipe. All right. So that's your; those are your options. Uh, what about? Um, we'll pick a winner. Uh, yes, we'll pick a winner. <laughs> uh, then the other one too. Maybe we'll send you something. Um, Got a pile of stuff to get rid of. Is it buck naked or butt naked? Uh, Kyle says I'd buck. Have, well, I have to check on that because <laughs> let me, no, no, let me no. go try this out. No, 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 because I'm wondering if it has something to do with deer development. Oh, so I just want to confirm that before because I've heard butt naked, which obviously your butt's hanging out, but I don't know if right there's What's something what? else here. Interesting. All right, so. so yes, pike, no pike, no pipe, yes, pipe. And if you want to... Uh, yeah, tell us how you like yes, to be naked. Yes, pipe, butt. Yes, pipe, buck. This and is, you, is it a little confusing now? I've, uh, I've so, downloaded Stitcher, and I listened to a lot more podcasts. And yeah. I've learned to like fast forward over to the, like, the first... The banter? Yes. Well, in that case, let's, get, let's talk about <laughs> fast forwarding. Hey, um, today we're going to talk about... Um, and I don't like to use the term since I'm not actually a person who oh, works in the ring. Oh, you love to use the term. I'm going to call them enhancement talent. to use the term. I do not. Not talking about talent. Uh, I like to call love, them enhancement talent. You love to talk about the boys like this. What do you? I've never, in my out of respect for the business, I've never uh, called anyone a jobber. But apparently, you have, right? I use the term regularly, and here's why. Yes. In my bag, I keep a roll of athletic tape that's got only three or four swipes left on it. And whenever somebody tries to big league me and say, hey, kid, you got any wrist tape? I'll say, here, I have this. So I call that my jobber role because you're treating me like a jobber asking me for tape. Ah, okay. There, I helped out. That's pretty Need more. Yeah. Sorry, should have packed better. Do you, um, <laughs> we're in an era where. Yes, uh, yes. It's well, not what just, it is. just to, to clear it up here, we are going to discuss jobbers. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. I really don't feel comfortable with it. Well, it, it, now your understanding of it. I mean, yeah. everybody, okay. Everybody uses the term jobber to be cool because at one time there was a division in talent where you had the traveling, the traveling talent and the locals and the obviously, oh, those are just the jobbers. Right, sure. Know? And a lot of them were treated horribly. Yeah, <laughs> as oh, you for can sure. see on TV. But they did serve a big purpose in the business. I feel they still should be in the business, but I'm also not spending money producing shows. Um, but it was a needed role because you needed somebody to build your stars. Now, there were jobbers. Some people called them carp. There were some jobbers, like noticeably on early Atlanta television, that were guys off the street. Were <laughs> and, they really? Well, not really, but they were horrible. Sure. Like just nobody taught him anything and they just took those guys out there and beat him up uh but there were there were also what's called carpenters and they would call people carpenters because they would come in to build up the territory by building up the talent gotcha you know, okay so yeah they, yeah you'd come in 
And this could just be guys, you know, at the end of the career, guys, you know, first coming in, just traveling, knowing they're going to do jobs, but they're serving the purpose because somebody has to lose in order to build up the stars, in order to bring in more people and more everybody sure. makes more money. So, so um, it was that collective effort. Could were <laughs> jobbers uh, financially successful? Could they be like as far as in the business, like some that they depended on to use like well, ones that you saw. There's always been lower. Th there's always been lower level talent, right? But a lot of these guys did have day jobs. Yeah, you know, okay. and that's why they were only there on weekends, which is why you got the varying talent, right? That would come in. Um. Well, the switch. So, essentially, though, too, and not. I guess when you saw the switch, and it kind of goes later into or like more current, I guess, and we don't like to cover it. I don't understand what you're asking. Hold on, I'm about to. You, you got to let me actually finish my statement. So it went from having people that worked in the specific city, like when a lot of the TV tapings or, or a lot of the times when the studio wrestling stuff, there were very specific guys from those areas that they used that were the jobbers you would see every single week. When the road, the sh uh, show started going on the road a lot more, like the WWF stuff, they started bringing in just local workers as the jobbers, correct? Correct, because that, that, that was their TV match. Uh, let's take a step back. What it would, The whole concept of jobbers. Um, this was made important with the Jim Barnett formula of presenting wrestling on TV in that you had the names against the no names, and then you paid to see the names against the names at the at the arena. Would you say that before studio wrestling or television wrestling were there jobbers out there it, as it, well? It was a different business. Yeah. But it, without TV, it was a vastly different business. Sure, sure. So there you had your upper talent and your underneath local talent. Right. And especially back in those days, because I've been doing a lot of reading like in the ascendancy of the mcmahons in new york and stuff like that it was a really weird shady kind of business yeah so who knows what level of people they let in or but it was also before tv you weren't you know you weren't presenting these huge cards that you know it was the more of the barnstorming right like right that. so it was just it was a different business but the whole term jobbers came in because you needed names to feed against your stars in order sure. to get in order to get the message out to come see your stars in the in the arena. Got you. So that's the whole function of that. So that like when I was first beginning to watch wrestling, you know, with my dad and everything, it was just like, oh, those are the guys that lose Sunday morning. Right. We had that Sunday was morning. You know, and that's how you just you got to learn them. But then my dad mentioned to me that oh i went to a show one time where some of these people that lost on tv were on that show and they you know they had different roles like they had b better matches no interesting and like, really? yeah and that like what really how does that you know that didn't make sense to me because right. i didn't know at that point that there was other wrestling or had been other wrestling sure sure so that it's like huh that that didn't make sense and then you know, once I got in and learned how all that happens and everything, and it was just like, is there a famous? And I guess I'm thinking because I'm having trouble. George uh, Scrap Iron Gadatsky. Uh, no, is Jake there Jake Milliman? Well, yes. Yeah, so we know we'll, we'll go through some of those guys, but 
when TV wrestling really started and took off, though, if there was a guy that they were, and I'm going to, I'll again, use a name a little bit more current than I like to, but we'll take like a Shawn Michaels, right? Okay. When he broke in in San Antonio. Right. Um, I feel like I've seen some San Antonio stuff lately, and it seems like he was extremely young, and they kind of brought him in already at like a mid-card level, like they were showcasing him, and there aren't, he didn't really job out that much, did he? Or did he work like a house show type circuit, getting the chops? Do they get their chops? They kind of knew who they were grooming and who they weren't. Does that make you know get them? What I'm saying? Sure. I don't know if San Antonio was his first stop though, okay. because he also did jobs for Watts. Okay, gotcha. Uh, which is on the WWF stuff or yeah. WWE stuff that you can find. So, like anything, these guys would get smaller shows, and then, well, if there if there were smaller shows, otherwise they'd call up and say, "Hey, I've got, you know, your your instructor would call up a promoter he knows and said, "Hey, I've got a guy that's ready to come out and needs to be groomed." Yeah, okay. So sure. you would be delivered to this to this area with the knowledge that, yeah, you're just there to be a scrub and get beat up but you're also going to learn by working all these guys It's going around right so that was more like the apprentice system coming up like that gotcha as opposed to guys that were never going to never going to go anywhere right for example in for the awa yes tom stone who we'll get into later uh was their contact down here so they would get a carload of guys and drive up to minneapolis get paid 75 bucks for the tv taping some of them would stay overnight and do a house show the other ones would go to a liquor store cash their check and drive back oh gotcha right right so like you saw them every week but that was you know an afternoon where they shot three weeks of tv oh wow so So that's why you saw a lot of the same jobbers over and over again sure and that was um, so, and which the, I might add leads to my game of when I discover old footage, especially old AWA footage yeah. on YouTube, is I try and figure out who came in the same car. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah, just like yeah, that's like just you're guessing at that. You're yeah, like, like if they they got to clear the ring, and it's like oh, there's Frank, there's Hangman, there's oh yeah, they all came up and they yeah. all did their they did their thing. Yeah. Now, were there any? And let's start with AWA. Kind sure. Of near and well, because that's where we are. Um. Were there any guys from the AWA that started out as jobbers that actually got, I don't want to say to prominence, but for AWA that got the push? I mean, I guess let's talk about the, the quote-unquote Absolutely. The jobbers Vern, that Vern brought his guys along slow. Sure. Well, no, and I don't... Right, I mean, but they I mean, started out as refs. I, there's so, lots of footage of the Iron Sheik as a ref. Is there... Okay, I don't think yeah. I've ever seen Iron Sheik ref. Oh, really? I've never seen Oh, ref. wow, yeah. Kazro um, Vaziri? I've they noticed, even mentioned that's his name. I see, and I've noticed... Um, Recently, I I saw some with like Mike Enos was refereeing. Sure. So I that's kind of the thing. But the, like Bob Windham was, uh, you know, Blackjack Mulligan yeah. was a ref. Uh, Dennis Stamp, um, tag t- Doug Summers. Okay, sure. You know all these guys. That that's just how Vern brought his guys up. You went sure. on the road as a ref because you learn the basics. You learn the basics in the camp. And then you get in the ring as a ref and see how these guys communicate with each other. Learn how to work better there. You know, it's all it's all part of the process. Right, right. Uh, Kyle, you've refereed as we've talked about in the past. Do you um, (laughs) do you feel that your chance in the ring, you were able to see that psychology at work with the match that you refereed? 
What psychology? Well, not so much psychology as the mechanism of how a match worked. I was just trying to get the shit on the guys from that match. Oh, I'm just kidding. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. You always put him in these impossible. But so do you? So when you were doing it, could you see how these guys had laid out the match and what was going on, and how did you feel? Yeah, I absolutely could see it. Yeah, Yeah. it's very easy to see. I mean, I think it's easy to see as an audience member to some degree, which is not good. Right. (laughs) Yes. But when you're when you're refing, you have to pay attention to, because you're supposed to be emotionally involved too. Like, you have to wait for the the big slam to have the big reaction, the right. big ref reaction. So you're paying more attention to the psychology in there. That's uh, the wrong use of the word psychology. Sorry, I'm go sorry. Ahead. You're paying more attention to the the story that's being built. Sure. In there. Um, so yeah, I guess, yeah, as a ref, it gives you more of an insight. Now I feel like, you know, maybe my next step is to be a jobber. Oh, I agree. Lord. You know, it's cool when I but, look at us though, but, but that f- function doesn't exist anymore. But think but about this though, okay. as we sit here right now, okay, we have you, Derek St. Holmes, a worker in the business, Job. right? Yeah. Biggest jobber ever. No, not here, really. Here's a, for example, I was just talking about this yes. recently. I was booked for a six man tag in Sheboygan one time. Disorderly conduct of WCW fame yes. and honky tonk man against Fair. Lenny Lane. Yep. Uh, who was it? Lenny Lane. Da, 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 da. I don't know what the death it does. No. Long story short, it was and me. Okay, and I'm looking yeah. at this thing going, oh, who's going to do the job? Who, and it, right. And it was you. Hey, speaking <sighs> disorderly of which, conduct, uh, it was supposed to be disorderly conduct and Marty Jannetty against Honky Tonk Man, Lenny Lane, and Derek St. Holmes Esquire. So with that, I knew who was doing the job. But that was the night that Marty was so out of it that we Couldn't had to get switch. His on. It, it, yes. <laughs> so we had to make Honky Tonk Man the face, make Marty Jannetty heel in an effort to try and control him, and that was still an impossible task. Yeah. Was that the year after I filmed you in Sheboygan doing the job with? Chavo as your partner against disorderly conduct? I don't know if that was the year before or after. But yeah, same place. Do you know on the website that has your match listings, it says you've only had four no contests? <laughs> no. I, I was studying it today. <laughs> okay. So in your what, career, you've only had four no contests. Uh, it said you had like 149 contests <laughs> like it got waved off okay like a schmoz or something oh, right? we, we went into the battle royal That's sure it. Yeah. there uh it said you had something like i think it was like 149 wins and 170 some losses I've had more matches than that. But that's what it just said in there. Oh, okay. So I just wanted to clue in, but I thought the four. I more than 200 matches. Yeah. I know. That's what <laughs> that's I thought. 10 matches a year. Come well, on. I know. I know. I know. Oh, but what I was going to say, this is kind of great, and I just realized this, that we have a great trifecta here. 10 matches in any you're given two-month period? You're a wrestler. Kyle's, sure. uh, Kyle's a referee, and I'm a promoter. So we have, like, all the phases of the wrestling business right here in this room isn't that amazing sure except for the accountant yes Mm. uh so that's what are the big jobber names of the awa what would you say uh if you're gonna make a mount rushmore of awa jobbers no that's dumb i'm not going to discuss mount rushmore um if you had to make a veterans wall i'm not going to make a veterans uh, just be quiet jobbers Uh, generation ahead of mine um George Scrap Iron Gadatsky. Yes. Who uh, drove the ring truck and set up the ring and was known for the big angle with the crusher where 
he was going to have a tuxedo match with Al Hayes, but wanted to find the dirtiest, grimiest wrestler he could, so he reached under the ring, and <gasps> there's George Scrapiron Gadatsky in his green jumpsuit. And sure. Had the thing. But, um, so he was the guy that always lost, but I do want to point out there's an incredible match between him and Vern Gagne. Oh, really? In one of Vern's rare TV appearances where he holds his own against Vern. Okay. So you, so you watch that and you're like, well, this guy knows how to wrestle. Why doesn't he win? And suddenly you start to realize the name against the no name thing. Right. And that's where that plays the factor. Right. Now, some of these guys that would do the job on TV, they would also go out on the road to work the 15 minute or 20 minute opening match. Sure. With, you know, a, a semi name or a smaller name. Because that's how Vern built his cards. This is where I get to the whole, we need jobbers in the business, but we're not going to have them because people don't build and structure their cards so much anymore. Right. Uh, it's always, let's start off hot, balls out, and just keep giving it to it and keep giving sure. it to it and keep giving it to it. And there's no, there's no ebb and flow or breather right. or build to the shows. It's just boom, 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 boom. And you get to the point where, uh, sorry. I'm getting to the whole what I hate about wrestling. Sure, today. that uh, no, I got. Well, you. I can share with shows that I've done commentary on. Take what you will from that. That when you go balls out by that, by the the first third of the show is great, but everything after that, it's just replaying what they've already right, seen. Done. Right, and each match seems to exist in a vacuum as opposed to part of an overall package. Right now, to my. I want to acknowledge what to my detriment or whatever here. I'm not sure I understand how people consume wrestling nowadays. Sure. So I don't know if they just watch single matches or watch an entire show. Right. So if 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 they're only watching single matches, then great. I understand that's how it goes. But if you're watching the entire show, especially a taped version of it, I wonder how I wonder how exciting that can be when you're seeing the same basic spots in the same basic places in the match sure so um so scrap I, i'm willing to have anybody explain it to me please right. oh so yeah, here's question. kyle referee kyle well i've i've got a i'm actually wondering about this now um because i think people still watch it by the show but i wonder if wrestlers think about it by the match and maybe if part of that has to do with the fact that you know since maybe early 2000s you have like dvd compilations of wrestlers and their greatest matches and so that has the wrestler thinking in this mindset of match instead of show uh it could be for that i'm going to fall back on the structure of it relies on the booker to uh be able to pace and oversee his show in order to build those ebbs and flows right but again to my detriment i don't know how shows are put together now i really it, it could just be how I see it, but it just seems to be crash TV to me. Which right. It, it sells. I don't know why. I Please explain to me, and I want to understand it because there's a new formula, but I just don't see it. No, and I think you're right, and I think that... Say it again. I think you're right. Yes. I think you're right, and I think that's Tenderly. what does uh, make for a complete package is a diff bunch of different styles. Yes. Um, and yeah, and it, you have to be able to provide it. Um, anyhow... Let's go back to Scrap Iron Gadaski. Scrap Iron George Gadaski. Did he ever go anywhere else, work anywhere else, make no. it anywhere? No, he was just strictly AWA. No, yeah, he was a homesteader. Okay, gotcha. And so... Um, so previous to him, you had 
a lot of the older guys like Joe Pazendak and you know like Joe Pazendak helped train train Ganya to wrestle and help train like Larry the Axe yeah, to wrestle. Right. So he was like a jobber on the circuit, but he was also by jobber on the circuit, he was a respected older hand that was doing what he can to build up current talent. Sure. And if anybody got out of line, he could straighten you out. Gotcha. So, right. That's pretty um, funny when you think about some of these guys too, with, like you said, just having the other positions, uh-huh. the hand in the ring and a hand with the ring. Uh-huh. And just being able to do all those different, you know, having the different jobs and kind of. Yeah. Well, on. that's how you brought up and how you learn to respect the business. And in some ways that structure is still present today, but. But those goddamn young kids uh, just think they don't have to set up a ring. Give me a break. <laughs> it's, it's, kind of. Yeah. But. No, I know. It's uh, they're too busy putting on their uh, Jeff Hardy armbands. Yeah. Or, or whatever they do. Doing whatever they do. Put on their Punisher T-shirts. I don't know what the hell they do. Uh, okay. So after so, that. So okay. So can um, one of my favorite AWAs? Yes. Was Jake Millman? Yes. Uh, Jake quite well. Yeah. Uh, you knew him pretty well. Yes, I had several matches with him and lost every one. Really? I believe so. I might have won one. Kyle's hemming and hawing about yes, something. Yes, I have. I have lost matches to Jake the Snake, er, Jake Milkman Milliman. Yes. Uh, Tom Rocky Stone. Yes. And Kenny Sodbuster J. There, there it is. So you job to the jobbers. Absolutely. Hey, is the pay regular when you play regular? Yep. That's what uh, M- Mama Otter from Emmett Otter's Drug Band Christmas said. Nice. Uh, so I ran into uh, him at the Kmart. Sure. And um, uh, he was short. Yes. I yes. thought that was interesting. Is he still alive? I thought he was in, is he in bad health. Uh, he? Yes, he was in bad health. I believe he's better now. Um, look forward to seeing him. Just recently we had uh, Trevor Donis pass away. Yes. Who? There you go. Another jobber on television. Right. But Look in this area, you know how how much respect he had among Absolutely, the local boys. Absolutely, 100%. Now multiply that by the Minneapolis scene, the Detroit scene. Right. You know, everywhere there were TV tapings, you had this subculture of wrestlers. Now it may not have been as plentiful, especially back in the days when the territories controlled and clamped down on everything. Right. But there was always a an outlaw or independent wrestling scene in Milwaukee. Yes. Uh, for example, we've already brought up Tom Rocky Stone. Tom Stone is a like cornerstone in the Milwaukee wrestling scene because so many of the people that he trained either went on to went on to do something or went on to train people, but it was always very solid psychology. Like, sure, he would train people and they knew what they were doing. Okay, gotcha. So he's kind of the the current wrestling tree in milwaukee kind of all traces back to him okay got yeah yeah but there were other guys um oh i can't remember the names now but they were hispanic guys like ben de leon and armando rodriguez okay i I think those are the names if i'm wrong nacho barrera lives around here too sure but so there were there was always this underground scene and especially in the chicago area where you could get away with a lot of things um you know, but they would go on to feed like somehow they had to feed what was going on on TV. Okay. They they needed new names, so they needed fresh meat, but it would just be like, "Hey, I need you to I need you to bring up six guys. Or, Why or bring uh, up three guys? They drive up there and it would just be on the board like Bachwinkle versus blank, Ganya versus blank, and just fill in. Uh, yeah, just boom, 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 go out there and do your thing. Yeah. Right. 
would they have the luxury of going over matches with uh, the names, or was it just like just go out there and whatever the name tells you to calls it in the ring and just does it? Both. A little bit of both. It, right? Depending on who you worked. Okay. Would uh, and I'm I'm assuming too a lot of the Brody uh, didn't tell anybody. No. Yeah. <laughs> he just kind of went and did his did his damage. Yeah, it would probably just be like give us eight minutes, guys. Was um I suspect that they gave uh, Jake the rub in the team challenge series because of the lifetime of loyalty. Yeah, and he was, a, he was a charismatic little thing. He was a little fire plug of a guy. Right. You know, especially at the end. There was nothing going on, and he was available. Right. Speaking of which, we watched the Team Challenge Challenge series as the halftime show for the Super Bowl this year. So Good. Oh, I mean, what are you going to do? Uh, but I know that because uh, it definitely he seemed to— ble- uh, During the Super Bowl, I read a book on the uh, 1980 and 81 Mr. Universe contests and how uh, Arnold— bought and paid for all of it no geez yeah it's kind of nice that is kind of cool actually um but so he, the so the waning days of awa they end up giving uh jake this little rub on this like weird little yeah but that was that was one or two tv tapings i understand I mean, that so... but it was just very neat how they did that did they ever give any of the uh the well-known the named jobbers any uh kind of a rub on television in the studio did, did they ever get a win against anybody did like scrap iron or sidebuster occasionally you'd put them on there and just... i mean because there were even matches Especially the way Vern did his TV, there were even matches between jobbers like that would open the show on TV. No, oh, okay. So one of them would have to win. Gotcha. You know, and that was just again, Vern used TV as a showcase to sell wrestling, so he would just tape these relatively anonymous matches, and then make his money with the interview portion. Sure, sure. So you could just insert, you know, insert a match A, match here. But if you look, his storylines would actually come in the interviews. Uh, I know there was one where it started out that, like the first interview in the show, the Baron was going to get a message about this match coming up. And the next show, he found out it was going to be a cage, or the next interview segment, he found out it was going to be a cage match. Then finally at the end, he found out he was getting a cage match with uh, Mad Dog Vashon against right, X, right. X, Y, or Z. I don't remember, but like told the stories through the interview segments yes. as opposed to the you know the overall thing. And I'd always heard that Greg would brag over how we're just really good at TV. Like I see how they use TV as a tool. Yeah, I also see how the technology and the right just you know, the knowledge of the medium them. kind of surpassed them. But, Absolutely. So but that's how they do. It. They would just. Uh, they would do the jobber matches. Atlanta would do the jobber matches where they would just throw guys out there, just get the names over and use the interview time to work. Let's talk Atlanta. Let's talk Mid-Atlantic. Let's talk that uh, region there. Okay. Um, now, this one, I think some of the more well-known Like, uh, who jobbers. are you going to say? Who are you going to say? Listen, I'm a mulky man till I die. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Uh, what one about of my... a singles guy? Well, hold on. I just want to say one of my fondest memories Uh-huh. Of uh, a jobber surprise, if you will, is the Mulkies winning a tag match on one of the Saturday night episodes. Yes, and that was to qualify for the Crockett Cup. Cup, yes. And they actually showed it at the beginning of the episode. Yep. And I I remember watching it with friends and recording it. Uh-huh. Or I, no, I'm sorry. I was watching it with my dad, and I was recording it because I always taped the TBS stuff, and then calling my friends and making them come by, and then replaying that. Nice. And I distinctly remember some high fives happening. Nice. 
Like it was and, so shocking. And, and cool. that's exactly why it happened. Yeah. But see, the Mulkies again, tag team didn't look, but they just they were good at getting the crap beating. Have you seen the, the Mulkies, Kyle? They're just two nondescript Georgia boys with you, bleach blonde hair. You should uh, look up the Mulkies, the Mulkey brothers. But M U L K E Y, Mulkey. Look it up. And then Jim Cornette helped get them over on his commentary. You know, yeah. it was all just an organic thing that built. But I've also read accounts that um, they can certainly hold their own in the ring. Oh, and, sure. You know, more than one story of them beating the crap out of somebody that got lippy. Oh, I bet. So I bet. Again, it's this weird pseudo world of this is portrayed but it's not reality right and just right. because you look like a wimp yeah, yeah. see exactly the best moment to the mulkies actually has a youtube video nice so that's just because you look like a wimp on tv doesn't mean we're all oh, for sure you can definitely yeah like definitely that. which <laughs> now we're just rambling goes back to the old well even the guys that lose on tv are able to beat up regular person in a street fight right you know right. It, but it was the the whole illusion of the business yeah for sure you know, it's like okay he looks like crap there but that's the guy that would beat beat me up right this was well maybe scrap iron could be an example of this but like dennis stamp who might not have been pushed in a territory but he was kept on the payroll because if somebody got lippy or some fan got out of line put him in there with him and right. straighten him out so you have this guy that's doing jobs on TV, but he's actually the policeman. Sure. And to get into the questions of why some of these guys did this for years and years, you know, some of them had day jobs and couldn't travel. Some of the old timers just needed to be in the business somehow. Sure, you know, right, you can't right. Give it up because once you get out of the business, the phone stops ringing and it's and it's weird. Anyway, going on to uh, going on to Georgia. The the person I was hoping you were going to bring up was the Alabama junior heavyweight champion Mike Jackson. No, yeah, another great yes. one too. Well, but they're a classic example of a local guy homesteaded. You know, had a family, didn't want to travel, so only wrestled in a little area, but still got some international attention by doing jobs on Atlanta TV. And we're right. still talking about him today. Right. And right. as far as I know, he still works. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if he because he was. He, he he was a small guy, sure. So like he less wear and tear on his joints, but I'm not saying he doesn't get injured because he when he works he works. Right. Um. God, it's hard to. I know Jim Cornette has one tape, a YouTube tape on some famous jobber that was just totally clueless against things like that. So um, did they? I feel like on the Mid Atlantic and like the Crockett stuff. Sure. I feel like that their jobbers that they brought in. You didn't see them as frequently. I thought that like there's probably more to draw from, wouldn't you say, from the that region around there? I uh, felt it was very specific with AWA. You definitely had a good, solid handful or two handfuls where I felt like right uh, for definitely that like for the, any of the TBS stuff, they clearly had quite a few. Okay, well that's keep in mind you saw the tbs stuff so like there was a lot of weekly television that we didn't see okay like their syndicated shows and yeah. stuff like that <clears throat> excuse me a lot of the people that uh were used underneath for tapings like that came from nelson royal school okay so i would dare say the well obviously the level of work if you can get people out of a school like that as opposed to you know some fly-by-night deal <laughs> right. in Milwaukee. Hey, come up. I know that uh, 
Farmer Vic tells the story that his first match was a TV job for the WWF. Oh, really? Yeah. You know, just when they were doing tapings on Superstars where it was just go out there, announce, announce Pearl Harbor, kick, finish, take it, you know, so yeah. they'd have like 16 matches. And just, uh, yeah, and just kind yeah. of get, crank it all out. Would these, um, and I know you weren't there, but... Do you think some of these, like if there was a jobber that was doing television, the only time that they would see wrestling, so to speak, unless they were doing like an outlaw show, they weren't getting invited to the Omni to hang out. Like they would come into the studio, do their matches, get paid, whatever, see you later and go. They couldn't be like, hey, mind if we stop by? backstage at the omni or any of those like or any of those places do you think it was pretty much there was a real big separation between the jobbers and the business itself outside of well you're i still think you're confusing the term jobber okay like the jobber is just the role that they're playing but those are still wrestlers trying to get booked and stuff like that sure obviously you couldn't be where you weren't invited but sure that's you had people wrestlers going backstage because that's how you that's where you knew you could contact the promoter okay for example kamala approaching jerry lawler and jerry jarrett at the mid-south coliseum saying hey can i talk to you guys about a job oh sure that's what led to kamala so you you had some stuff like that but in any case like that especially back then you weren't going to be invited if you didn't know somebody right like you didn't just walk in and say hey hi i'm a wrestler because they would hurt you sure right you would just i mean and even in Oli's book he talks about where guys would come in and say hey i got trained by so-and-so but Oli didn't know who so-and-so was so he'd send somebody out there to try and hurt him right you know and you know it was a weird business what do you think of and again, I, I not I'm not trying to be disparaging, and just from someone uh-huh. a fan watching, um, someone like a George South. Sure. How would you quantify a George South? When it would you consider him? I, like I feel like I've seen him have great. I've seen him have great matches. Sure. But I feel like he was a guy that you know ninety five percent of the time you saw him lose. Right. Um, was he the one that had the big match with Flair on where Flair said I, they wanted to go yeah, I think so. on TV for like, yeah. I don't know, it was like 30 minutes or whatever it is, and he really gave yeah. him a good yeah. uh, run for his money. Um, uh, he also drove Flair's robes around. Oh, there. Because he said at one time he had, had to go pick up three or four of Flair's robes, and he thought to himself, wow, those robes together cost more than this car did. <laughs> That's pretty great. Yeah. So... Would you consider him, by definition, a jobber, would you say? Or how do you you talk about guys like that? He did jobs on Atlanta television. Sure. Doesn't mean he did jobs on all the other shows Shows. he was on. Right, right. So uh, if you're called a jobber, then it's being intimated that you're always in this role. Yeah. You're you're not a jobber. That night you played the role of a jobber Jobber. because you had to build somebody else up. Gotcha. Okay. No, and that's fair. You know, so it's sure. Oh, George South is just a jobber. Really? Did you see every match he was ever in? Did you right. see him tear the house down for 30 minutes in front of this fair show? You know, right, and go right. over. So it's all that's just you're being called that because you're being associated with the role that people saw on television. And they think that's what everything else was. But no, that was an afternoon. Gotcha. You know, that was a morning. 
Derek, this is some riveting conversations we're having here, but let's put a pin in it for right now and let's come back next time. And we're going to continue our talk about jobbers. Is that okay? You're a pin. All right. Uh, for Derek St. Holmes, this is Jay Gilke, and we want to thank all of our sponsors, I guess. Whatever. Where, where can they hear us? Uh, they can hear us on iTunes and all the gimmicks. We'll see you guys next time with more jobbers. <laughs>